Blog Talk Radio. This is Creativity and Play. I'm Steve Over. And I'm Mary Alice Long. You can find us online and be notified of future shows at creativityandplay.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Creativity Play and download archived editions on iTunes. Our guest today on Creativity and Play is Adam White. Adam is a director in the London-based landscape architectural firm, Davis White, in London. The firm focuses on reconnecting children with nature through play. Adam is the co-author of a, of a publication called Nature Play, Managing and Maintaining Playful Landscapes. Adam, welcome to Creativity and Play. Hello there. Thank you for having me on today. Well, it's really great to have you, and uh, I know Mary Alice and I have both checked out many of your great creative, playful projects online on your website and uh, chatted a little bit with you about them, so we're very much looking forward to finding out more about them. And I guess before we get started, tell us about the the firm that that you're now a a director in and knowing that before you did it, you came out of... um, uh, a charity or nonprofit in the UK, an environmental yeah. um, organization called Groundwork, and then and then started this new firm uh, with this great mm-hmm. mission. So, tell us what kind of projects you guys are involved with um, in general. Well, for, for, in the new firm. for, for, ten, for ten years, um, myself and my colleague and friend Andre Davis were working for a big charity in the UK called Groundwork, which were working with communities to um, engage them and listen to what they issues and concerns they have. And, design open space, public open spaces for them. And, and then the charity moved in a slightly different direction and we became really passionate about creating playful landscapes. And I'd visited various projects in Germany and we then decided to try and get people in the UK interested in a bit of risk, a bit of nature and the landscape having play value rather than lots of metal fencing and rubber stuff and equipment and it was incredibly difficult no one was interested in it and all very risk averse all the usual worries about dogs and graffiti and drugs and and vandalism came up so we created mm-hmm. a show garden we did a, a show garden at a big flower show in london um at rhs hampton court and won a gold medal and became bbc people's choice designers of the year and that kind of opened a lot of people's eyes to what potential the landscape can have when it offers play value. And from that, we created Davis White Landscape Architects, and we haven't really looked back since. That was in 2008, so it's been a real adventure and incredibly playful from day one. And, and tell us about the role of play in your firm, because it's, you know people probably have a general idea of what a, a landscape mm-hmm. architect does in, in designing spaces and using nature to do that, but I... I gather you guys are a little bit different than your we, we are. landscape I mean, architects because of the role that yeah i mean lands, landscape architects yeah landscape architects is a you know it's a huge profession and there's, there's various um sort of career choices you can make you can do restoration projects you can do impact assessments you can work on big huge global sites or you can do the small scale community projects and um, the basics of what we do are um taking um, a public open space and designing it to have play value. And it's not just for children, it's for society in general. The problem we always find is with our projects is it's not the children we have to remind 
about play. It's for grown-ups. They're kind of forgotten. So we normally start off by getting everybody to close their eyes and reminisce where they enjoyed playing when they were a child. And chances are it isn't sat on a springy chicken in a regular playground. It might be climbing in a tree or playing on a beach or building dams in a stream. It was very rarely ever just on a regular sort of regular playground. And in the UK, certainly in London, I did this session and there was a certain generation and their childhood memory was playing on bomb sites in London after the war. That was where they went and enjoyed play, was climbing over all these destructed buildings. And they loved it because it had adventure, risk, and they could use their imagination. So that's how we've applied it as landscape architects, is just by clicking on playfulness. So everything we do, even if we do a roof garden, there's always something a little bit quirky in there that sort of has a bit of humor, I suppose, and a bit of imagination for everybody. Sort of cross-generational play is what our projects have. Adam, um, I, I just think that's so fascinating that, well, I've heard many times about communities being and individuals being risk adverse, but I mm. still find it amazing that so many people don't want to go in the direction of play when there's so, there's so much value in our being playful communities and playful individuals. Um, but um, with that being said, I think I, I know that you did a um, new project with Denton Pastures, mm-hmm. Nature, it's a call it Nature Play Space, and mm-hmm. um, it's just fantastic. I want to go. <laughs> I want that in my community. <laughs> and it just really is exciting. And so I'd love it if you tell us about your newest project and a little bit going, you know, continuing on with what you were just saying about your your process, how you and your partner and um, those that you work with on this, how you develop the project. So we have the end project of Denton Pastures, but how did you get there? So how did you bring play yeah. and creativity into that? Exactly, and that project's a, a great one. It's on our website, and I've. I've been tweeting at Davis underscore White for since the very start of that project. So I've kind of taken so many people on the journey. And I, I suggest everybody involved in, in play projects. I mean, YouTube's brilliant. We've been making these little films of the project from our very first site visit where we had a wander around right on through till recently where we've actually filmed it, you know, open last weekend. And that project, it, it's as good as the client and the client is as good as the brief. And they're the vital ingredients for any of our public space projects. You've got to have a client that's really on board and a brief that is really clear and well set out before we even put pen to paper. And that's what we did. They were, we explained the value of nature in play. We explained how we wanted to reconnect children with nature through play. And they were totally on board. So that was a really important discussion and debate we had with the council at Wokingham in England. And then from there, it was a case of um, designing it up with model, models on site and listening and talking to people that were already using the space. And there was a huge amount of work done right at the start with schools and with scout groups, just getting them to think about what, what is fun to do when you're out and about and not think about playgrounds. And we're very lucky that that, that client was on board. And it meant throughout the journey of that project, we could use all our experience and imagination. I'd say poof, about 70, 80% of our ideas actually came to fruition in that project. Now, normally, as a designer, 
you, you expect it to be watered down because there's always red tape, there's always risk-averse people, people who are going to maintain it, concerned parents. So you never actually get the dream that you had as a designer. But with this project, because we did so much engagement, everybody was on board. So we had woodland craft workshops, which were part of the construction process of this project. So some of the features in this Dinton Pastures play space were actually built by the children that are now using it, which is such a rare thing to happen. But certainly in the UK, it doesn't happen that often. But we're hoping that this project can be used as a real case study to show that a public open space, which isn't managed, anybody can use it any time of the day, can go along and reconnect with nature through play. And the first weekend, a thousand people use it. It was absolutely crazy. Absolutely crazy. And this weekend in London, they've got another heat wave coming across, so it's going to be equally as busy. But it seems to be holding up, and it seems to be incredibly popular. And I noticed that you also emphasize that moving away from plastic and the playground being in the corner, you emphasize that you can use the whole play space, and so there's areas where there's trails and there's the open fields and there's ability yeah. to you know, use different levels up and down in the hobbit hole and then climbing. Um, and so can you tell us a little bit about that philosophy and, cool. and how, how communities can move beyond the the plastic structures and well, exactly. dust and, 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 and sadly, and sadly, um, there are still some really rubbish playgrounds going in. The companies that sell the equipment, some sell great equipment and some sell rubbish equipment. And um, what we're trying to promote with our, our projects is that the total environment can have play value the moment you step out of your house, not just the corner of a park or a garden. So we're getting people to think about grassy mounds, playful planting, timber decking, climbing in trees, water bridges, boulders, all complemented by handmade play equipment. Because there are certain things that you might want, and that is a swing and a slide. They are incredibly popular for a very good reason. They're great fun. But as Henry Ford once said, if he asked everybody what they wanted, they would have asked for a faster horse. They wouldn't have asked for a car. So sometimes, um, as a designer, you, you know better. You, you wouldn't go to a dentist and tell him which tooth to take out. So we're trained, we've got experience, and it's important that we use that knowledge and apply it to every project that we work on. And the result is an exciting, challenging space, which we hope creates unlim unlimited creativity and imagination. And, and it generally does. We, we have a very good success rate. We don't do loads and loads of projects. But the projects we do, we hope, are exactly what a community and children want when they're growing up. Adam, you've done work in several countries, I think Germany, Japan, Slovakia, um, and you were describing earlier that um, mm -hmm. fr from the children's side of things, it isn't so different, but perhaps from the adult side, it's a little bit different. Can you say a little more about what we were talking about earlier? About yeah. The topic of, yeah, sure. Of what, what's similar, what's different when you're working in different countries on these kind of projects? Yeah, I mean, that's that. I, I often get asked that. I did a project in Japan, and, and then I came back from Japan and went to Finland not long after, and people were asking me about how the children were different. And to be honest, they aren't any different. It's about how society treats them and what opportunities they get when they're growing up. They love jumping off bridges into streams no matter what country they seem to be in. And it's just how society dictates how a public space should be used. For the uh, number of years in the UK, 
Um, we've been incredibly risk averse. It's been lots of metal fencing, rubber bouncy bounce, wet poor surface, and lots of springy animals, generally the springy chicken. My philosophy is they should be free range chicken. There shouldn't be any fencing. Fencing keeps dogs in, it doesn't keep dogs out. And I did a bit of a, a number crunching exercise and found out that a playground, a regular traditional playground, 50% of the budget that goes on it goes on fencing and the safety surface. And that's 50% of the play value, woof, instantly taken out. And it didn't matter whether it was in Australia or whether it was in Germany. It was the same, same philosophy. So it's important that we, you know, we look at children and look at what their important um, interests and what, what really makes them tick. One of the greatest things we've done on a project, and it, and it has to cost a lot of money. We plant sunflowers. We get the children to grow little sunflowers from seed so they experience that little plant growing. And then we get them all to plant them in a circle. They grow up really tall. We get them to grow runner beans up the stems with the big floppy green leaves and put clover on the floor so the clover grows on the floor. So they've got this grassy green carpet with this yellow roof wrapping around and these green walls. And they can peel it open and climb into this little house, hidden house. And it's all grown from a few seeds. And you can do that in Australia. You can do that in Germany. You can do it in America. Or you can even do it in the UK. And it's, and it's that basics, going right back to the basics of what rights should children have. And that's the opportunity to play and the need to take a little bit of risk, stimulating risk. that they don't, We don't think of risk. We call it excitement in our office. We don't believe risk exists. It's all about excitement. <laughs> So you're, uh, you're uh, thinking along the lines I was, Adam, and so my mm-hmm. question is, um, how do you sell the project? Because, um, you know, communities are looking yeah, at economic point. development, everything yeah. is arts and economic development, play. And ec- so um, how do you sell it and what kind of play advocates do you have in different communities? Or how do you develop the advocates in the community so that you can do these kind of projects? Because um, mm-hmm. they're costly, as you said. I can't. I can imagine. Yeah. No, it's true. Um, one of the, the the we we always people say, who do we need to talk to? And we we start a project. The probably the most important person to talk to is the is whoever it is that's going to look after it in the long term, because these are public open spaces with very little money to actually maintain them. So we always talk to the people who are involved in the maintenance, and we get them involved in looking at our design ideas as they develop. And when we're doing site visits as they're being built, we get those guys involved as well. So there's a real sense of ownership. And the one thing I'd say is consultation with communities is a waste of time, pointless. And people go, what do you mean, Adam? I say, you can't say that. I say, yeah, I can. I think consultation is a waste of time. And then it gets a quiet hush. And I go, but engagement, engagement is what works. And it takes a lot longer. It costs a little bit more. But the benefits you get out of it are huge because what you get is ambassadors for your project. You get people that care and they feel they own a project. And I sometimes find at the end of a project, I get a little bit upset sometimes when we walk away from one of our projects and somebody in the community talks about it as their project. And I'm thinking, I've sweated tears (laughs) over that project. I've been there every day. You've just come down a couple of years. And you have to remember, that's a success. If they become an ambassador, and there's a great project in central London in a deprived community where the community set up their own friends of group all off their own back because they knew it was so busy at some weekends that the bins would fill up so quickly. So they decided to empty them for themselves. 
to help out just to make it work and that was because they they took ownership of the project unfortunately in the world we live in most projects are delivered by people parachuting in they drop a bit of equipment in and then they disappear and you probably won't see them again and we take a little bit more ownership of our projects so the success of our company is based on creating playful beautiful spaces so beautiful that when there's no children playing in them you look at them and go wow that's a nice place that looks interesting rather than walking past thinking oh that's a bit of a sad lonely space and that's the difference with landscape architecture and for a, a play equipment designed place is that we can do a seasonal project so every season uh, you can have a different landscape it can appeal you know leaves can fall off some of the shrubs to reveal boulders in the autumn or as you have it in the fall in america and then in the winter when you get the snow the rolling landscape suddenly becomes playful and the little tunnels are entrances into these little snow mounds so then in the summer when you've got all the lights you can have it shining through little windows now we don't put any color in our play spaces at all because we believe the children are the ones that bring color to the projects and it's too easy to patronize children by thinking oh yeah let's put a load of primary bright colors in that'll impress them and as a result of doing projects like this what we have found children run around and burn off calories and go bonkers they go absolutely crazy in them and that's fantastic because that's the secret thing we wanted to do in the UK a quarter of all children are registered as overweight and our friend Jamie Oliver on television he's sorting out the diet he's helping them out eat more healthily and it's working it is really working but they're still not getting access children in the UK are not getting access to enough playful exciting spaces where they can burn off energy and what was great last weekend at our Dinson Pastures project there was not one child out of maybe four or five hundred was on an iPhone a computer pad or any mobile electronic device they were all playing and there were a number of people commenting on that it was generally the parents taking photographs of the children playing on their iPhones or their ever they were their, their cameras but there were no children on computers it was absolutely amazing to see and that's what we want to encourage and hopefully this project and a few of our others if we can keep sharing them and talking to guys like you we can get the message out there that anything's possible and you don't need mega books to make it happen you just need mega imagination some of, some of your work is also uh, trying to engage kids in thinking about doing the kind of work that you do themselves as when they uh, mm -hmm. enter the career world later in life yeah how are you going about that how do you uh, the interest yeah. of a young person to uh, want to be a landscape architect slash yeah. play designer it's, it's, really, it's, it's a really interesting point that because we, we often get asked that because we do um, every project we do we, we offer um, engagements in schools with um, model making and design sessions we take children to quarries so they get to choose the boulders that are actually going into the play space they choose the trees that are going to go into the to go to the nursery and they actually choose the exact tree and that helps with the ownership so they'll go back in years to come and say that's my boulder that's my tree we've had a project where there was graffiti all over a boulder it said um, millie's 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 boulder millie's rock all written all over this boulder and the council went to me oh adam there's graffiti all over that boulder i said that's not graffiti that's ownership that's lily millie smith who chose the boulder when she was there <laughs> 
And if that's graffiti, we should be encouraging it. And then another time I was called up and these children apparently had broken into the site. It was half built. They thought they were vandalizing it. And I raced down there and the contractor was with me. And it was the lads. He was showing his pal the tree he'd chosen from the nursery. That's the one I chose. And yeah, they shouldn't have broken in, but they weren't vandalizing it. And that was because it was the engagement in getting them involved in the process. And when we do our projects in schools and different uh, youth groups, we're often asked, Is it a, what sort of job have you got? How do you get to design skate parks? And how do you get to design playgrounds? Well, we're landscape architects. That's what we do. The spaces between buildings. That's generally what we do. And not a lot of people realize that that is a job you can have. And um, I remember my, my dad saying to me, if you want to be the best in your profession, create your own profession. And we haven't because we're landscape architects, but what we're doing is playful landscapes. And there's a small group of um, designers across the UK, and I'm sure they're across America and lots of other countries that have got the same mindset as us, which is, you know, we're not in this to become millionaires and we're not in it to change the world. But if we can change just a little bit of it, then we're doing a good job. And that's what we think we're doing at Davis White is just creating some great little playful landscapes for communities to enjoy. And it's a job anyone can do. Uh, the Landscape Institute in the UK is where you go and you can learn about being a landscape architect. There's the American Society of Landscape Architects in America, and you can join them, and their website's great, and it explains what you can do. And we encourage landscape architects that are out there to just think a little bit more playful. We need to make more of our open spaces fun, even if they're in town centres, and it can be through quirky seating. Put a swing in a bus stop. There's no reason why not. We need to make more public spaces playful so everybody just chills out and stops racing around like headless chickens. It's just gone a bit bonkers lately, I think. Let's put a Gary, swing in a, in a bus stop somewhere in America. How about that? <laughs> I've seen one, actually. <laughs> we need more. We need more. Adam, you're a, you're a very playful, diverse uh, landscape architect, I have to say, and it shines through in, in the videos that I, that I watched, particularly about the... Um, Ditton pastures where you're oh, yeah, yeah. fencing around and introducing all the hobbit hole and everything else. <laughs> and um, but so just to further encourage um, kids, adults uh, in the area of uh, landscape architecture and design and looking at different possibilities. What's your? Um, how did you come to do this? Or what? I know that in yeah. your family there you have some sports connection. You do a lot of sports mm -hmm. yourself. What in all of those kind, those all those passions? What kind of what's the seed that that brought you to what you're doing today? That you're uh, here with well, <laughs> I was very young, and I was fascinated with growing crescent mustard and seedlings on my windowsill at home. I grew up in um, a little town near Manchester in the north of England called Warrington, and I was fascinated by planting a seed in a bit of damp tissue in an old little pot, so an old yogurt pot, and watching the seed germinate and grow. I just couldn't quite get my head around it. And it still fascinates me to this very day how things can grow from nothing. And with a little bit of TLC, it can grow. My brother's an architect, and he just calls me the tree hugger in the family because I, I like <laughs> watching things grow, and he just can't quite get his head around it. He's more happy with bricks and mortar, whereas I'm just fascinated by how things can grow and develop. And... I remember doing that for years and years as a little boy. And then the little pond in our village 
I was all overgrown. And I said to my dad, wouldn't it be great if it was, if it was pretty like those, you know, the sort of traditional English part, um, gardens you see with a pond? So he said, well, why don't we do it? So I got a group of people together in our village. We all went down and we started to clear it out and tidy it up. And we went down every Sunday and we dredged it of all the rubbish out of it and just basically gave it a bit of TLC, gave it a bit of tender love and care. And we ended up with this lovely little pond. And I asked my career advisor at school, that's the sort of job I wanted to do. And they said, oh, you, need, you want to be a gardener then? I went, no, no, I don't want to be a gardener. I want to do drawings and then build some. I want to, it's different. I don't know what it is. So I did my own little bit of research. This is before the internet. And I asked around and I got in touch with um, different companies. And I found out there was this career called landscape architecture where you can do drawings, make models, and then they build them. And I thought, that can't be a job. Really? You get paid to do that? And that's exactly how it started. Growing crescent mustard on my windowsill, tidying up an old pond in our village, through to actually finding out there was a course at college and then university. I didn't realize it was going to take me this long to qualify. It takes quite a long time. And you certainly don't do it for the money, but you do it for the job variation. And the every day is totally different. And having my own company now, is, is such, a, such a great thing. I, I never get up in the morning and think, oh, I've got work today. Never, ever. And I know lots of people in London that feel like that. So I feel very lucky. And I can wear shorts for work as well, which is quite good. And <laughs> <laughs> the outside. In the remaining couple of minutes we have here, as you mm-hmm. kind of think about the last question of how you got started in this, I want to kind of ask you to think about where you're going. What, what would you love to do that you haven't done yet? Oh, good question. Design work. I'd, well, personally, I'd like to see um, more um, councils and more landowners being a little bit more open-minded. So it's not so much a challenge. So half our our, our job when we win a, win a win a project is educating the client. I'd, I'd be great if they were already aware of the benefits of a playful land. So it would make our job a little bit easier, and we could get on doing the the really important stuff. Um, so that would be quite nice. As a, as a pro, as project, Denton Pastures has been a, a real pinnacle for us because we've, we've used so many of our great ideas in that project. So to do a, another project like that um, in a different part of the country or in a different country would be fantastic. And I probably, that's it, just carry on doing it. Every single project we do is totally different. So we, we make the play equipment out of matchsticks. I sit at the desk and we... We design the play equipment so it, it's totally unique. So, for example, a, a nest if there's an area where... We did a project in Scotland, at Loch Lomond in Scotland near Glasgow, and there were lots of ospreys nesting there. So the whole project was based around those. So mm. um, I, I love that. And we did a project in, called Hobbledown that was based around a children's storybook. So it would be really good to do, do more of those projects where there's a narrative behind it. So children can read the book and then visit the space that's based on the story. That, that really works well. So it kind of crosses boundaries between playing outdoors and children learning to read as well. So I think fitting it in with the syllabus and education of children in school is really important. So it becomes a, a common language. That's a waffly answer, isn't it? I went on a bit, didn't I? I was going to ask you earlier, too, when you were speaking of the many different mm-hmm. projects, have any of them actually been school-based as opposed to in the, in the broader community? Yeah. Are they open to this? Yeah, we, we've, we've done a few schools. Um, 
of projects we've just designed. If you go to our YouTube, Davis White Landscape Architects YouTube, there's a film of one of the designs we've just done for a project in Soho in central London. And that design is based on where the wild things are, the children's storybook and, and the movie. And it's how nature could take over a playground and trees and plants could grow out of the walls. So we, we apply the same sort of creative process to school playgrounds and, and small gardens as well. And the same way we've done a, a garden at St. George's Hospital near Wimbledon in London. And that was, that was probably the most rewarding project we've ever done. It's the smallest one we've ever done. But to see children that are terminally ill getting that opportunity to come out into a little green space that they didn't used to have. And we bought two rabbits there and um, we got some celebrities to come and open it. So it was a, it was a real um, uh, lovely project to work on, those smaller scale, more intimate projects. And, and you know, the same principles can be applied to a very urban area, which is about bringing nature in and letting it reclaim that area. Which is a great, great point to end on. Thank you very much, Adam, for joining us on Creativity and Play today. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Uh, Adam White is director in the landscape architectural firm Davis White in London and co-author of Nature Play, Managing and Maintaining Playful Landscapes. Our theme music is Kindergarten, composed and performed by Jonathan Batiste. And you can listen to this show and previous shows again, find more information about our guests, and sign up to be notified about coming shows at creativityandplay.com and find Creativity and Play on Twitter, Facebook, and iTunes as well. Creativity and Play is a production of the International Center for Creativity and Imagination in partnership with the National Creativity Network. I'm Steve Dahlberg. And I'm Mary Alice Long. You'll find me in the Hobbit Hole. Thank you, Adam. <laughs>